Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. If we make a practice in our lives, like going to the gym, you know, eating healthy, if you want to lose weight and, and be fit or you want to be chiseled, you got to make it a practice. It's a daily practice. You know, you can't be like, you know, go to the gym for a week and then eat cake for 30 days, you know, nonstop <laughs> and say, hey, what happened? I was getting in shape, you know. Uh -huh. So if you do that, whether you're feeling bad or whether you're feeling good, that doesn't matter. That's just your practice. Like you wake up or you go to sleep, certain things you do. It's a fundamental practice. Just like, you know, you're talking about writing. It's a practice. And then it starts to, you hit the flow state. Same thing in life. You make it a practice. Your life hits a flow state. And, you know, life and things in life happen. Like, look, you know, people die. You know, nothing we can do really can stop that, at least in human history hasn't. Um, and, you know, like people we love die or people come out of lives. Things happen. <clears throat> so I don't think we can, you know, stop that in life. But what we can, what we can do is if we hit that flow state, first of all, we, we bounce back much faster. And second of all, it does, like the things that used to bring us down don't bring us down like they used to before. Mm-hmm. That's also huge. So then it's only the real tragedies in life that bring us down. You know, losing a loved one, to, you know, die is a real tragedy. And that should bring you down. <laughs> I mean, really, you should feel. Yeah. And it's good to feel. It's good to have loved someone that way that, that you know, and, and feel, feel the loss. Um, but the other stuff, the other garbage, the 99% of the stuff that brings us down that doesn't matter lessons. Mm -hmm. That is power lessons. So I would say to someone who's either down or up, just what matters is a fundamental daily practice on working on your inner self that keeps you in, in your personal flow. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this, you're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Kamal, welcome to the Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Thanks for having me. Good to be back after all these years. It is. Yeah, it has been quite some time. I mean, we had you back in the day on the show when we were still called Blogcast FM and when, you know, your first book, Love Yourself Like Your Life Depends on It, uh, had just come out. Um, But, you know, what prompted this conversation was one, I've been wanting to bring you back for quite some time because I had so many more questions to ask you uh, that I didn't get to ask in the first interview. And we know that you have a new book coming out, which obviously we will will talk about. But before we get there, I want to start with um, something that is a, a bit different than you know, the way you and I have started our conversations in the past. Um, and that is, what is the most important thing that you learned from your father and your mother that has had an impact on your life and your work? Wow, that's quite a question. Um, <laughs> You'll get wow. used to this, don't worry. 
Wow, wow. Let me think. Well, okay, so I'll just honestly for my father, because my parents were separated when I was a little kid and divorced, I didn't grow up with my father. Mm-hmm. Um, although I was with him daddy the night he died. Unfortunately, you know, some I actually learned an example of certain ways not to be. Mm-hmm. Honestly, my father was a very troubled man and I actually had to deal with that. And uh, it was it's almost like you can get a guide and way to be and a way not to be. Mm-hmm. You know? And it's uh, it was a guide in certain ways of ways not to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and for my mother, she's got the biggest heart. Like she's a strong, independent woman who raised my brother and I with no money, minimum wage, and some pretty, pretty rough conditions. And yes, she did it with a full, like loving heart, and you know, doing whatever it takes to uh, to get my brother and I, you know, out in the world. And where we are is, you know, is really thanks to her. Mm. So just lead a, a like independence, open heart. That's my mom. Hmm. That's what I learned. So multiple questions come from this. Uh, you know, you mentioned that your father was an example of what not to do. And yet for so many of us, our parents are actually an example of what to do or what to become like. And I'm curious as to why you think you had the self-awareness to realize that this is not the way you should be. Um, whereas many young people, I don't think would have had that self-awareness. Like what is the difference between the person who becomes the replica of the parent that they don't want to be like versus uh, the one that does what you've done? Choice, man. Yeah. This comes down to choice. Choice and being conscious about it. You know, there's no there's no magic formula. Mm-hmm. It's like, um, you know, we may find ourselves with those, with particular traits, but, you know, it's up to us whether we want to express those traits to the world and how we want to express them. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think it fundamentally comes down to personal choice, personal commitment, and how we want to be in the world. Mm-hmm. You know, and... Um, you know, and you know, the people we, who raise us, we can't, can't help but be examples of, you know, North star, South stars, mm-hmm. you know, they're human beings and either way, it's a lesson, um, that we can learn from and be better. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you said your mom, um, because of the conditions that you're raised in, which I'd like to hear more about, uh, in, in detail, um, kind of imparted this sense of resilience and a big heart to you. And I'm curious if those are traits that can be learned and developed or, you know, are they the result of the environment? Can you develop to the level that you have without having been brought up in the environment that you were, I guess, is really the question. <clears throat> I'm, one can become anything they want, honestly, man. I've seen enough in my life and I've done enough in my life to believe that. As for where we came from, you know, it could have completely gone the other way, too. You know, look, we came from a very rough background, you know, where we lived and and like, you know, uh, my brother and I were on our own all the time and uh, you know it's it's but it's what you know so we could use that excuse, where we you know where we grew up you like either escaped by the time you in high school just lived and died there you know and um, both of us you know chose to escape and go and do bigger and better things and we've done you know we've wherever we're in life I think both came from personal choice mm-hmm. um, I think ultimately though just goes down to personal choice uh, and who we want to be and how we want to get there. And we don't even have to know how we want to get there. Just who we want to be starts the ball rolling. Um, yeah. I don't think there's anything. As far as can someone be that way? Of course. I mean, like parents, I have friends of mine who parents raise them to be that way. They're beautiful, loving families and safe, you know, grew up with a beautiful, you know, upper middle class or wealthy background that turned out that way. I think it's, it's an individual thing. It's going to be by choice. Mm-hmm. With my brother and I, I think it was by choice and by, by a different kind of example um, you know, we're human beings. There's nothing that's ultimately foreign to us as human beings. And so we can be 
if we choose to be any kind of human being we want to be. It's a matter of how badly do you want it. Mm-hmm. You know, I had to go do, do certain things to actually develop that. I went to college for a year, full scholarship, and I was bored out of my mind, and, and I wanted to serve my country, so I just stopped that and went and joined the Army. And I was, in, you know, I was an infantry soldier, just a grunt. You know, um, that taught me a lot about independence and confidence that I've like, carried over the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. You know, that some of the things I've done in my life, I look back to that 18-year-old who was a boot camp, that confidence he developed in himself in boot camp in you know, Fort Benning, Georgia in the summer, uh, it's directly because of that. There was nothing in my upbringing that would have sent me to the Army. That was a personal choice that that's, I wanted to serve. And it has paid off in dividends in so many ways. I can't even <clears throat> begin to list them all, but ultimately, like, the sense of confidence that I can just take care of myself and handle whatever comes my way. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's actually life experiences we choose can also give us that. Uh, some of my travel experiences have given me that. Writing books has given me that. You know, building companies has given me that. All these things, you know, where we, like, challenge, put ourselves out there. They all give you that, um, the indep- at least uh, the independence and the ability to go and make stuff happen. What would you say was one of your earliest life experiences that planted uh, the seed for your interest in do- doing what you've ended up doing as both a writer and an investor? And, and what have been, what's been the trajectory of your work uh, and what have been some of the significant inflection points of your career and your life? Well, if you ask for youngest experience, I had no idea what a VC was. <laughs> I don't even know if they existed, you know, at least in the world I grew up in. You know, yeah. the, uh, but writer, dude, books were my refuge when I was a kid. I spent my entire childhood reading books and, you know, doing sports and stuff, but books were my refuge. So they've always been, stories have been so important to me. So it makes sense that I wanted, I naturally become a storyteller. As far as venture capital investing, man, that's nothing I ever planned. It was, um, it's, you know, it's another thing I've learned. Like you go down a rabbit hole, um, any rabbit hole, and eventually, and as you work at it, you know, things, you figure things out, other things happen. You know, I started my career in the first dot-com boom. You know, building startups. I didn't become a VC until I had my first major failure and I lost everything. And after that, I decided, what do I want to do? Mm-hmm. And I went off and being an entrepreneur, I went off and built my own VC fund. Uh, but it wasn't like some long, drawn-out plan. I'm Honestly, I'm not even a big believer in those long, drawn-out <coughs> goals. It's more of a matter of um, like a step-by-step working at something, giving your all that just leads to places, leads to opportunities. The reason why I'm very good at what I do as a VC is because of all the experience in building startups and all the friendships I made and the people I helped along the way that, you know, we all, we are all at a certain place in our life where we, we can help each other. You know, there was no grand plan there. And, um, you know, it's like the, yeah, there, there was no grand plan. It was just throwing myself into things, figuring them out and going from there. Uh, so there's no childhood experience I can point to in investing. I had no idea I was ever capable of that. That would be where my life would go. Uh-huh. I was pretty lost as a kid. I really didn't know what I wanted. Uh. Do you remember if any book in particular um, ignited this desire to be a writer? No. Um, I, it, it was just a matter of writing, trying to tell stories. No particular book said, okay, after this, I want to read this. But I know the book that inspired me to actually become the best writer I could be, which was I picked up Hemingway's Farewell to Arm. Mm-hmm. I remember sitting at Barnes & Noble years ago and picked it up, and I just finished writing the first draft, actually, of this very novel that we're going to talk about later. And I started crying because I realized what real writing was and how far I had to go. Mm-hmm. But it gave, me, it gave me a marker. 
And so I spent like over a decade obsessively writing and rewriting and collecting rejection letters and becoming a better writer. So it didn't start writing, but it started my path on being good, such a good writer that I could, I could serve the story, mm-hmm. which is important. In the end, you're serving this. Fundamentally, you're serving the reader. And what serves the reader is the story you're telling. So you have to be the best writer you can be to tell the story the best way you can to serve the reader the best way you can. So I, I'm curious about what your sort of daily writing practice and habit and ritual looks like um, based on what you've just said. You know, I, I mean, I think you and I share a similar habit in that we treat this as a practice. So I'm curious what yours looks like. It depends. When I'm working on a book, it's like full on. I separate my life into chunks, you know, like uh, we were talking about earlier before the interview. You know, I run a VC fund. I, you know, I, I'm on the board of companies. I advise startups and entrepreneurs. But it's a very different part of my brain. You know, like the moment I go into business mode, I'm into like a whole different side. I can't like context switch back and forth between that and creativity and just the kind of stuff I write, which is like bleeding on the page. And then from that, removing all the non-essential, only leaving what matters. Mm. So actually, <clears throat> uh, when I'm writing, uh, uh, working on a book, I minimize everything else in my life and work on that. And I do it if I, you know, or at the very worst, I will actually do it different times a day. So they completely separate. I can, um, I can think a certain way versus, uh, you know, thinking about business versus thinking about, you know, about writing a character who's like going through something in life and what he's learning is a completely different thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I either, I either separate those two completely uh, in the week. Like my, these days I'm writing these like 10 hours a day at this day. These days I'm working like in startups and VC stuff or like during parts of the day. Uh, that's the only way I think I've learned to handle that. So there's no like specific ritual for writing. Um, as, as horrifying as that sounds, it's more <laughs> when I, you know, as I wish I'd, I, I had ritual for other things that actually give me the foundation to live my life the way I want to live and write. Uh-huh. Like right now, you know, look, I'm, I'm running a VC fund. I'm raising another fund. I'm like contemplating moving, moving. So I'm working with my attorneys to figure some things out on that. Um, and I'm, I'm a syndicate, uh, like, angel like a angel syndicate launching in january plus i'm on the boards of companies plus i'm advising companies plus i have a novel coming out in a few weeks you know by a traditional publisher i mean it's like um like how i managed to do that is beyond me i just chunk it in different parts of the day Uh and in that the one thing i actually have lost is regular writing and it's the one thing i miss the most and it's funny i was thinking about that today because it's what's actually given me the best things in my life is my putting my writing out to the world so Ideally, like I do something as simple as I just write a some just a certain amount a day. Uh-huh. That's it. If that could be my minimum practice, doesn't matter what time of day it is. Before I go to bed, I, I just block off a chunk of time and write that amount of time. This is when I'm not working on a book. That simple. It's not words. It's it's time. I you know I rather write one true sentence than write one one thousand words of garbage. Mm-hmm. I mean, like my personal version of uh, of what, what I consider garbage. So. Um, you know, everybody's got their process. Some people do words. Mm-hmm. Some people do uh, like Hemingway used to do word. I think word count. Mm-hmm. I do. I do uh, time. You know, ass on chair, time on chair, and um, that naturally leads itself. What's interesting is when you're really in it. Sometimes time flies, and you've done like five x the time. That's, mm-hmm. but you only do it by doing the bare minimum every day. Yeah. For sure. Well, I'm, I'm writing an entire section specifically about flow, and, and that was a big part of what I discovered was, okay, it's this, it's a series of paradoxes, right? Like you, 
you you know flow feels effortless but you have to put an effort to get into that place of flow and you have to be able to tolerate the the thousand words that are just complete crap before you get to the next thousand that are yeah. amazing you know Sally Hogshead even said yeah. to me in a conversation that the best writing happens not in hour one but in hour two and three yeah when you it's really like it's like the mind is it gets like uh I'm afraid of going back to writing because I'm going to be writing garbage for a while. You know, <laughs> like your mind just gets like kludgy mm-hmm. and you have to like, it's almost like you got to start moving the machinery and oiling it and, you know, getting it humming. Uh, it's like James Altucher was telling me if he doesn't write for three days in a row, like his writing is then turns into crap. Mm-hmm. And he's totally right. It's something about the mind needs to go to a special place. It's almost like the mind needs to get out of the way. And writing is an amazing way to do that, but it, it requires training. Mm-hmm. It's practice. You can't. It's like going to the gym. You know, you work out every day, and then you take three months off, and you go to the gym. You're not going to be able to lift what you were lifting before. You'll <laughs> kill yourself, right? Yeah. The, it works the same exact way. Um, so you know, I and I kudos to all the writers like yourself who actually have a daily full-on focus practice. Regardless, mm-hmm. I am kind of a little bit um, unscheduled that way. I do it on a project-based basis. Mm. Let's talk uh, about your time in the army, and I, I have several questions about this. Um, mm-hmm. The first being, you know, <coughs> as somebody who is Indian, uh, you know, obviously uh-huh. I'm Indian too. That is really about as out there as you could possibly get in terms of a choice to make in your life, in terms yeah. of what you're going to do. Um, so I'm, I'm curious, kind of one, what is the response from the community, and how is how is culture, you know, growing up Indian impacted your own life experience? Because I, you know, obviously I know that it has had a profound impact on many of the choices. I've made and many of the choices I chose not to make. Um, so I'm just curious kind of, you know, what, you know, what impact culture has had on, on that whole experience of the army? Honestly, not much. You know, I look, you know, like when we grew up, you know, my mom was always gone working like morning till night. She commuted like, I think two hours a day for minimum wage jobs. My brother and I raised ourselves. There was no like real community. We didn't grow up in an Indian community. We grew up in Jamaica, Queens, where all the rappers came from and you had 10 locks on your doors, you know, mm. it was just, just, that's what it was. So I didn't even think of. Uh, so and I've always been very, you know, always been very independent, figuring out my own thing. And joining the army was a personal choice. I, you know, we were we were immigrant children, you know, when we came here, and I felt a strong loyalty and gratitude to 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 United States. You know, it's 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 made me it's one of its own. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to give back, and that was at 18 year old that seemed like the best choice I could make. And I, looking back, it really was an amazing choice um, in so many ways and because of the person I became because of that. Um, so the whole Indian thing never really got in the way or got out of the way. It just was not a, not even a, not a part of the equation, honestly. Mm. So you mentioned that you learned a lot of things that have served you incredibly well in your life. I'm curious what some of those were and kind of you know what people who are listening might take away from that. So this is what I got out of the military. You know, a couple of things. You know, one is, um, look, I was 18 years old. I was a kid, but you know, I didn't have much self confidence. You know, I just, um, you know, did, most of my friends didn't even think I would make it through the first four weeks of boot camp. You know, let alone infantry boot camp, which you know I chose the hardest boot camp the army had. And uh, <clears throat> but like every day going there, being in there, being challenged, stepping up, stepping up, and like making it through. I remember. After 13 and a half weeks, my, when my drill sergeant pinned my infantry blue cord on my shoulder, like the pride I felt, I had earned it. It was like the first time in my life, you know, I turned 19 in boot camp. I had earned something special. I'd earned the right to be, a, to be an American soldier. I'd earned the right 
to wear that to wear that uniform, that core that had such a long, you know, illustrious history uh, behind it. It was it was immensely powerful. The confidence it gave me in myself that I could do this. Like I didn't have that confidence before. And you know, the 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 funny thing about confidence is if you develop it in one area of your life, you de- it just ripples over to other areas of your life. Like the boy who walked in, they, well, I was bussed in uh, to Fort Benning, Georgia, versus the boy who was bussed out. You know, walked differently. You know, you carry yourself differently. And I, I you know, and I've 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 noticed that in the rest of my life. Like I just you know, like I will jump into things and try things, and not be afraid. Or if I'm afraid, I know I'll somehow figure it out, which I think honestly came from some personalities, some uh, childhood rearing, but really a lot from just going to boot camp and just being challenged every day. You know, the whole point of boot camp is to make you miserable every possible way they can. Mm-hmm. That's all it is. You're just constantly miserable and you realize, hey, I can get through this. I can do this. I can do this. Um, and and also, I think it was a great growing up experience for me. You know, and um, and also just just being surrounded by like and you know my platoon, there were guys who were like gang former gangbangers from LA, guys who were like you know like full on racists from other places, all these and all also thrown together. We had to like you know become one you know part of each other's lives and how we melded and how we fought and how we got together and it became a brotherhood. You know, which really showed you, it showed me also a microcosm what this country is about. You know, it's so different. We're all some, from so many different experiences, and yet we can come together and be part of some one thing, one ideal. Mm-hmm. You know, so I'm very, very grateful for that. I, I got to see that part, that part of America. It's, I think it's a very important part of the American dream. And now as a, as a writer, as an entrepreneur, as a VC, I get to contribute to the American dream in a different way by creating entrepreneurship, by writing these books that literally have saved lives, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and, and, you know, another interesting thing is when I meet other people who have served, you just feel a bond. You never have to have served in the same time. Just the fact that you're in boot camp at some point in your life and you, you, wore, you, know, you wore a uniform, you feel there is a bond. I've had business meetings that have just weren't going well. All of a sudden you realize that guy was in the Marines and I was in the Army and bam, forget it. You know, that all goes out the window. We have something in common mm-hmm. that we all chose to serve our country. There's something really special about that. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, so, you know, the, in the last conversation we had, uh, you know, we were talking about your book, love yourself, like your life depends on it. And that was really the impetus for that book was really a dark chapter of your life. And I was wondering if you could kind of take us there a little bit and, um, you know, (coughs) talk about that. Sure. Um, you know, it's, it's funny, man. It's like sometimes, you know, that was when I hit a real personal bottom and out of that actually came, such a beautiful transformative part of my life that my life has never been the same again. Uh, I was building my last company and I was doing great and I put all my money into it and it fell apart uh, after three and a half years and I fell apart with it. And um, I was locked up, depressed, miserable. And, uh, you know, just I decided I was going to get out of it, die trying. And started working on my inner self and came up with this practice that just seemed to work. And it changed, shifted my insight. And as, you know, as we know, like, or at least as I've learned, if you shift your inside, the outside shifts. Mm-hmm. It's life really just is, I don't know, it's just a fundamental law of nature of life. And it changed my life. And then when I wrote that book and put it out, which was another thing, it was terrifying because I thought I would ruin my career in Silicon Valley. <laughs> Here I'd failed massively. Then I put a book, little book saying, hey, I love myself. I'm cool. You know, and, but the book wasn't about that. The book was actually like a practical application of how, to, how I loved myself. Anyone can just do it step by step. And... <clears throat> That book came out and put me on the map. I had no idea it would. 
uh-huh. and changed my life. And it, you know, but a lot of, a lot of that came from that decade of writing obsessively and rewriting and collecting rejection letters that, and that, and then saying, okay, I'm going to be a better writer so that next year I won't, I won't get rejection letters. And next year getting more rejection letters, but better. The year after getting better rejection letters until they were like phone calls and in-person meetings, right? Mm-hmm. From that, that, that level of obsession to be a better writer, let me write that book. So it's interesting, that decade of rejection letters, which did not feel good at any one that I got, <laughs> were, you know, really, but what was the best gift I could have been given as a writer? Because uh-huh. otherwise I'd be writing garbage and drivel and clever stuff, not the simple from the heart stuff that I write now. Uh-huh. That had to, my ego, you know, I had to learn the craft. And then when my company crashed, my ego had to be stripped. And we put those together. You see, so you have craft and now you have no ego and you want to share, you have magic. Mm. I love that. Um, you know, I trust me, I didn't plan any of that. <laughs> you know what I have, man? It was hard. You, you, you and me, you and me both. Uh, yeah, right. You know, one of the things that I very distinctly remember because I, I remember I had read the book before our first conversation, and then you know, I think probably a year or so later, I found myself in probably one of the worst periods of my life, like just crippled by depression. And um, there's something in that book that really struck me, um, and I still remember it to this day, and I, I, may, I may butcher the quote, but it was something along the lines of, when things are bad, it feels like it's going to last forever, and when things are good, it feels like it's never going to end. Yeah, yeah recency bias. Yeah. And yeah. I am I'm really curious what you would say to the person who is in that moment in their life where it feels like it's never going to end. You know, it's a cla- you know, it's a classic thing. You know, Solomon's ring: this too shall pass. Mm-hmm. That is the only fundamental truth in life. Is everything changes? You know, we just get stuck in our monkey minds that we're walking around in. You know, we just upright primates in some ways. You know, in this brain, and it only if you're in dark, you only see darkness. You know, if you're in light, you only see light. Um, or you can imagine darkness. But what I would say is, like, ultimately, in all these things, you know, if we make a practice in our lives, like going to the gym, you know, eating healthy, if you want to lose weight and, and be fit or you want to be chiseled, you got to make it a practice. It's a daily practice. You know, you can't be like, you know, go to the gym for a week and then eat cake for 30 days, you know, nonstop <laughs> and say, hey, what happened? I was getting in shape, you know. Uh-huh. So if you do that, whether you're feeling bad or whether you're feeling good, that doesn't matter. That's just your practice. Like you wake up or you go to sleep, certain things you do. It's a fundamental practice. Just like, you know, you're talking about writing. It's a practice. And then it starts to, you hit the flow state. Same thing in life. You make it a practice. Your life hits a flow state. And, you know, life ha- and things in life happen. Like, look, you know, people die. You know, nothing we can do really can stop that, at least in human history hasn't. Um, and, you know, like people we love die or people come out of lives. Things happen. <clears throat> so I don't think we can, you know, stop that in life. But what we can, what we can do is, if we hit that flow state, first of all, we rec- we bounce back much faster. And second of all, it does like the things that used to bring us down don't bring us down like they used to before. Mm-hmm. That's also huge. So then it's only the real tragedies in life that bring us down. You know, losing a loved one, to, you know, die is a real tragedy, and that should bring you down. <laughs> I mean, really, you should feel. Yeah. And it's good to feel. It's good to have loved someone that way. That that you know. And, and feel the feel the loss. Um, but the other stuff, the other garbage, the 99% of the stuff that brings us down that doesn't matter, lessons. Mm-hmm. And is power lessons. So I would say to someone who's either down or up, just what matters is a fundamental daily practice on working on your inner self that keeps you in, fl- in your personal flow, mm-hmm. to use your word. 
Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science, with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this, you're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. You know, so um, given that people are listening to this at the very beginning of the year, uh, mm-hmm. which is a time when I think a lot of people think about goals, they think about achievement, they think about what they're trying to accomplish. Um, in addition to what you've said, what would you say to people about the goals that they've set for the new year or how they should think about it? Okay. 
you know what I would do? I would throw out the throw out every goal you got, and I would actually just look for simple fundamental commitments you make to yourself. Hmm. That's it. You know, um, like look, a goal could be I'm going to lose, you know, thirty pounds by May XX, you know, whatever. Or a commitment could be I am going to eat this way, and I'm going to work out this way. Period. Every day of my life, or like every day. That'll get you to that, to the goal, and it'll get you beyond it when the goal's over. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm a big believer in personal commitment, man. If there's one thing that's changed my life again and again, it's personal commitment. Like, look, that love yourself thing came from a personal vow I made to myself, so I committed. I had to figure it out, right? Um, when I start to write these books, I make a personal commitment that I'm going to give them my all and do whatever it takes to make them the best I can. Uh, so I think goals are temporary like commitment personal commitment you know lasts our lives and that's what makes us who we are i think scott adams um you know really smart guy uh creative dilbert he has a book called how to like fail at everything and still succeed Mm -hmm. and in that he talks about systems versus goal which is pretty much the same thing he says systems you set in place like rituals will get you to the goals and beyond versus just go for a goal so i would say for for beginning of the year pick like Make a couple of really powerful, fundamental commitments to oneself on how you're going to be in a certain area of life, and just be that. Mm. You know, blow your goals off, or the you know, blow you way beyond your goals. Wow. <coughs> so, um, I want to I want to talk about uh, the decision to start a venture fund after <laughs> blowing up a startup. Uh, because that's, uh-huh. that's not the norm. So lo- normally, like if you mapped out that trajectory, that would not be the most logical progression is, yeah, you right. know what? Yeah, I, I, I made a startup go bust and now I'm going to start a VC fund. Um, so I'm curious because I know you talked a little bit about this at our event when you were a speaker about the, the power of doing things that are inappropriate. So I'd love for you to expand oh, yeah, on, yeah. on that response to a situation like that, because it's, it's almost the polar opposite of what anybody in their right mind would do. Well, actually, but I, you know, I have also built startups that did very, did very well. Okay, fair you know, so I've had that both that experience. Uh, but you're right. After blowing one up, how do you? First of all, yeah, how do you how do you go and build your fund and, and uh, build a venture fund? It is not the path that would tell you in business school. <laughs> you know, it's not. But I think the best ones are not. They can't be taught. Mm-hmm. It was just a matter of what problem do I want to solve. Ultimately, you don't start a startup unless there's some problem that you want to solve that's keeping you up at night that you just have to solve. That's fundamentally what a startup is. Forget all the sexy Instagram quotes and everything about killing it. So you're trying to solve a problem, and that's all you do. Solve a problem, then you solve bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. That's how you become a billion-dollar company. Mm-hmm. Every single big company I've seen that way hap- happen that way. So I j- there was another problem I wanted to solve, and it wasn't – uh, I didn't want to build on the startup anymore because there was no start, like no problem I wanted to solve this that I need a company to build a company to. Mm-hmm. What I wanted to solve was what I wished I'd had as a VC, which was I'd had some very helpful VCs, but then I had you know VCs who were just always paid lip service that their value add and the value add is like the most useless, boring garbage ever. You know because they've never built a company, they've never failed or succeeded. They got an MBA, they got out of school, and 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 they started you know becoming an investor. There are some like that who are really good, mm-hmm. but there are many like that who are not, right? And ultimately, experience trumps all. So what I wanted to do was I wanted to create a fund where it was by entrepreneurs for entrepreneurs. All my LPs are very successful entrepreneurs. I'm a, I'm a former entrepreneur, so it was always like any companies I get in, 
It's only practical help. No useless advice. You need customers tomorrow? Great. I'll call this LP who does direct mail campaigns. We'll send one for you. We'll get you a thousand customers by the end of the week. Done. You know, like literally the stuff I wish I'd had as a CEO. Mm -hmm. That, you know, I'm having this problem. I need this account. Can you get this done? All my LPs are like entrepreneurs, you know, like in online media, PR, you know, lead generation, all these things that they're all individuals who make a lot of money doing very specific practical things that any company could really use. Mm -hmm. So I set out to solve a problem. So, and I solved it by building this fund. And the fund does, is doing well because I'm solving this problem in my own way. Mm -hmm. So, and that way it kind of makes sense. But, you know, you know, these days it's like startups are like the sexiest thing in the world. And what people will forget is a, start, a startup is nothing. Uh, fundamentally, you're trying to build a business. You're, buying, you're taking an idea and creating it into some sort of a valuable platform or service that people can use. Mm-hmm. People get caught up in the sexiness of startups. There's nothing sexy about startups. It's just a lot of miserable work. And 92% <laughs> of the time, you fail. Uh-huh. You know, like, I mean, really, there's nothing sexy about it. You sit in front of a computer, you know, when you're, you know, your eyesight will be gone by the time you're, you know, you're <laughs> a certain age, you know, you, yeah, like, <clears throat> but if you want to solve a problem and start, a, start something that solves a problem, a small problem, go bigger, bigger, you will have more success than you know what to handle. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I, I just rambled for a second. I'm sorry. No, no, no keep going. Uh, that, that, all good. I'm curious what it is that you've seen as both psychological characteristics and personality traits um, in the most successful founders that you have had in your fund. Um, or just in my experience, I would say it's yeah. two things. One is persistence. Mm-hmm. And two is they're really going after something that they care about. Because, you know, every every company, every ish, anything you build will have issues that will go sideways. And, and if you care about it, you will keep on plowing through. If you're doing it because that's a sexy idea right now and that's where people are funding, you know, you will lose your way. And most likely than not, you will not succeed. Mm-hmm. Persistent and just a clear passion about the problem you're solving. Two very simple things. That's why it's really important to have, um, you know, never start a startup unless you, there's a particular sol- problem you want to solve. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, let's do this. Um, let's shift gears and let's actually start talking about the new book. Uh, you know, I think that the thing that really struck me was that the book feels fictional, but at the same time autobiographical. So I'm curious kind of, you know, what the impetus was uh, for this book. And you talk about a journey at the very beginning of the book and what the impetus was for that journey. Um, sure. So, you know, the stuff I've written in my earlier books, right, which is very practical life lessons that I've learned and how one can apply them. Um, <clears throat> you know, there's a bunch I wanted to tell, but I've also, I wanted to tell them in a story and here's why, you know, I'm, fundamentally, I think we learn best, uh, through storytelling. If we teach best through storytelling, we learn best through storytelling. And I want to do it in such a way that so that all these lessons layered into a character and as the character grows, in a very, you know, in a very, in a manner that you can see, you can feel, but also layered him with all the other characters that comes in his life and all the things that happen. That fundamentally, some of that is layered into you. Some of that personal growth is layered into you. By the time you read the book, you're also better, just as the character is better. Mm-hmm. So a lot of these things about loving yourself, you know, hitting bottom and rising, saying yes to life, you know, core lesson of forgiveness. You know, there's so much I've woven into there, and the, this, the, I could only do that through a really compelling story you know to write that in a nonfiction book i think would have not served the reader mm-hmm. so ultimately you know it's about serving the reader what serves the reader best and for me it was this story and 
the the part, and it's actually based on experience in my life. I walked the Camino de Santiago when I was in my mid twenties, which is an 11th century pilgrimage in Spain, and it's 550 miles miles long from one end of Spain to the other, from the Pyrenees French Spanish border to the, basically the Atlantic Ocean, right? And so to take this as the background for this character, this guy walking the pilgrimage after the death of his father, and it's he's doing it in modern times. So, but it is a timeless journey. Like it could, you know, someone could read this hundreds of years from now and still be applicable. And the growth that happens with the people he meets along the way, what they teach about life, mm-hmm. and what he experiences and learns about life. It, I, you know, so I, that's why I use my personal experience. But then I took it and and uh, and just fictionalized it, fictionalized it to serve the story. Mm-hmm. So where did the whole idea of rebirth come from? Like, what was the, like, why that as the title? Rebirth actually was not the original title, but um, the title came from actually from the book because the Camino de Santiago is actually one character uh, tells the main character is divided into three parts, life, death, rebirth. Mm-hmm. And he's just going through it. He's facing almost like his own metaphorical journey there. And, and later on, as I was like, but after I sold the book to the publisher, we were coming, trying to come up with a, better title i realized what is fundamentally the business book about it's about rising it's about becoming you know becoming like you you hit bottom and you rise by doing these particular things and that's your personal rebirth and it's a part of the camino as well anyway so it just fit perfectly Hmm. well let's talk about the three sort of specific areas one being love the next being forgiveness and the the third being falling your heart so we kind of touched on love but i want to get deeper into it kind of you know what this whole journey taught you about love and what you'd want to pass on to other people um, as a byproduct of your experience with this? Well, as experience of writing the book or experience of walking the Camino? Both. Two very different things. Both. Well, I walked the Camino when I was in my mid-20s. I wasn't as, didn't have the kind of like life experiences I have now, right? Mm-hmm. So what I woven in is I took that basic experience, but I woven the life experience I have now to put the wisdom in, if I can use that word. So, Love is ultimately I, I wove in about you know the one of the key fundamental things about loving yourself, but then I I wove it in a way that the character actually uses that to move forward. Mm-hmm. You know how he learns to move forward by using some basic things that actually I talk about in my first book, and so it's a practical application in a story. Mm-hmm. And you know love ultimately is if you love yourself, what choices do you make? And also loving yourself if you love another, what is that? What is true love? You know with the French guy Louis that he talks to, who tells him about how like. You know, you know, whether she's with you or not, you know, if you, you know, that's not love. You know, love is like you love her regardless. You know, that's love. Mm-hmm. And so, it's, you know, then love for the, for his father and other people he meets along the way. Um, fundamentally love, you know, it's about, it's about, man, open heart, saying yes to life. Like whatever happens, you say yes and you move forward with it. Um, it's hard to describe what love is in a short encapsulation that's why i write these books man <laughs> i mean like to to weave in the whole thing you know versus hey what's love well it's a you know it's a song i don't know interesting yeah i mean i think the the you know so much of that was really just eye-opening to me because you know I, two things that really kind of struck me these are two quotes one you said with love facts become irrelevant um, and another was that it's our vul- vulnerabilities that move us forward not our strength which to me was just really interesting and, you know, even even looking at love through the lens of romantic love and, and realizing that, okay, yeah, not everything is meant to last forever and making your peace with that as well. Like, I think that's where, you know, for me, my greatest struggles had been. And so reading this was super helpful in that. 
I'm glad. It's like, uh, yeah, the main character is dealing with that. So I, I want to show that, um, you know, that's and show like what he goes through, the pain, but then also the growth and the letting go and how, you know, he's, he's learning these and, and they naturally apply to his life. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm glad you found that useful. Well, let's talk about the idea of forgiveness, um, which I think is actually really kind of a perfect sort of segue from love, because often, you know, the people that we love are the ones that hurt us and the ones that we need to forgive. Um, and I am just really curious, kind of, you know, with your own life experience, what has been the impact of forgiveness and what does forgiveness do in our lives? Like neurologically from a brain science perspective and just over, overall life perspective, what is the value of forgiveness based on your experience? Ultimately, forgiveness sets us free. That's it. That I can give you in a sense. Uh-huh. And that's what happens to this character, man, when he finally forgives. And he doesn't like set out to forgive. He doesn't even know he needs to do that, right? Sure. He goes to this journey and in there, from what he learns, he naturally, something of his shifts and he realizes that's what he's done. And that's actually when he's like, starts, things start to work and move forward and he makes the right decisions. And, you know, forgiveness is the most beautifully selfish act we can do because it sets us free. You know, it's not about the other person ever anyway. They're gone from our lives or whatever. They're no longer in. Uh-huh. If they're in your life, then why are you with, you know, ask yourself the question, why are you, <laughs> why are they in your life? Uh-huh. Uh, you know, forgiveness is not for the other person. You know, even though it sounds like it, yeah. forgiveness is for ourselves. It's selfish. It's beautifully selfish and it's beautifully liberating. As long as you don't forgive, you're just holding yourself down. Uh-huh. And I, when I'm, or I'm holding myself down. I'll speak from my own experience, you know. Yeah. But every time I've, like, learned to forgive and let go, uh, you can't learn to, you can't help but let go as you forgive. Uh-huh. And once you do that, like, it's like you're letting go of that rock you were hanging on to, so you let it start floating up. It's really simple. Hmm. Knowing that, um, you know, at least, you know, what, what I can say to that is intellectually, that's really easy for me to understand. And I, and I get the value of that. But I think there are moments in our lives when we know that intellectually, and yet we can't get ourselves to accept that um, emotionally. Of course. I, I, of course. Is, is, is time the only reason that that happens? I am just very curious. Like how, how I think you... time is a reason, but time, you can collapse time. You can accelerate time. Mm-hmm. You know, what you're, what you're taking time to do, if you make a conscious intention, you can actually do it much faster. Just how much you want to do it. How badly do you want to do it? <coughs> um, you, you know, maybe, and it can happen in stages too. There's no such thing as like step one, do this, step two, do that. <laughs> right. But you know, after forgiveness of others, always there's another important part, which is self-forgiveness, uh-huh. which, you know, which I think is the most important for our part of forgiveness. Because, you know, holding anything against ourselves does not serve us. We can just learn and let go and move forward. And, you know, it's, and I think, you know, it's a constant practice for human beings with human minds, dealing with other human beings, other human minds, and they're going to interact and, not, and things going to happen that one mind wants, the other one doesn't, and there's a, there's a break of some sort, right? That's the nature of living as social creatures. So we have to let go to, to it's part of living. Mm-hmm. It's part of living the human drama. You know, this, all of this, like, you know, you, you don't look up on Wikipedia, the word human, see, you know, see, see per equals perfect. You don't see humanity equals perfect. It's, it's just, it's a song, dance, drama, nightmare, all, you know, joy, all just thrown into one. Uh-huh. It's part of the game of living, you know? And to realize if, I think it's sometimes important to realize this is just a part, this is a part of living. If I'm alive, this is a part of it and be selfish and work on yourself to let it go. And your life gets better. 
And so the practical part, you know, some of it I've woven into the book, and some of it's just ultimately that's what commitment. If you commit and just work at it, it happens. Mm-hmm. But it has to take commitment, you know, especially when you don't want to commit, you know, you should commit. Hmm. So I think that makes a perfect setup to talk about this idea of following your heart and, and what that really means. Um, you know, because, you know, I, I can tell you that if you had told me follow my heart when I was 19 years old, I would have asked you, what the hell are you talking about? Um, yeah, yeah. It's pretty cliche sounding, right? Um, but it's something that, I mean, really. But like, I've, that's why, you know, another, I mean, look, that's why I write these books. It's, I don't just, you know, I'm not a quote writer. I was actually talking to someone. I was like, I'm, I'm, a, I'm an author. I'm not a quote writer. Quote writers are platitudes. You know, I want to write stuff that actually then shows the reality of it. Uh-huh. Shows the reality of forgiveness. Shows the reality of following your heart. So it becomes practical. Right. Uh-huh. That's why we tell stories. Otherwise, you know, just the best, you know, New York Times bestseller list would have a quote list, okay? you know, a quote <laughs> card list. I mean, if, you know, like so following your heart is actually actually fundamentally it's really simple. Yeah. And I was telling someone else about this today. Like, uh, you know, it's our subconscious that drives us. Our neurocortex, our conscious mind is such a small part of what actually drives us. It's just the one that makes up all the logical excuses for what the subconscious decided. Uh-huh. I think a lot of following our heart is the subconscious speaking to us. And the way we do that is, you know, meditation is great for that. Or having a practice that gets you into flow is great for that. And you learn to listen to it. Um, having, doing a pilgrimage is great for that. Um, but, you know, if you, any one of us has lived life a little, fundamentally knows what their heart is saying versus what their mind is saying. It's a matter of making a practice of listening to the heart. But the, here's the thing I've learned about listening to the heart. The heart does not guarantee anything. The mind loves to guarantee. If you do take the, do this goal, you know, go to school for 35 years, you'll become a VC, you know, versus your heart is saying, go join the army. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like if you follow the heart, you only see the step next, next, step next, step next. But that's at least to the magic. It, that's why it requires faith. I think that's why so many religions have the concept of faith is that it requires going into the unknown. But that's where like it all lies, not in the known, right? Mm-hmm. And it's, so it's listening to the deeper part of the self that we all have, that we all fundamentally know it's there, that we, I don't know why, but we wired to actually like tune it out. So that takes practice too. For me, I found like short meditations every day, uh, once a day. But I've learned to listen to what comes up from within. Literally from my physical gut, you just learn and you start doing it. You're like, oh yeah, this worked, this worked, this worked. So it's like you make it a practice. It's not like some platitude, follow your heart, but you know, some and then start singing a song about it. You know, that's <laughs> that's useless, man. The, I, I know I struggle with that. I struggle with using these words sometimes because they are so become so cliched. Um, but I hope you know with these books, what I do is that I actually show the practical application of it in a story that one can apply to themselves. Yeah, I, I appreciate that perspective uh, more than you can imagine, especially because of, <laughs> of the practical application and how I typically feel about new age nonsense. <laughs> yeah, and it's like anyone can write, you know, write all the best things out of theory. Uh-huh. You know, the ones anyone can write a business book out of theory. The one you want is the one I listen to is like Richard Branson or some someone who's actually built stuff. Yeah, you know, there's people out there who sell how to you know, sell programs on how to make money without, that's the only way they've ever made money is by selling programs how to make money. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like the silliest thing in the world, you know? Uh-huh. It's like a, it's like this Ponzi scheme from Ponzi scheme, you know, just, just, I only want to be around doers and if it's like in anything in my life, if I want to be fit, I want to be around people who are insanely fit. If I want to be rich, I want to be around people who are insanely rich. If I want to be someone who's loving, I want to be around people insanely loving. That's, you know, not people who talk about it. Uh-huh. 
not people who you know there's uh in fact that uh, you know i have this thing if, if someone keeps on talking about how much they have integrity I, I, you know that's basically a sure sign they're the opposite of that <laughs> you know <laughs> like people with integrity don't talk about it they just yeah. do it they live it right uh-huh so um, you brought up, you know, being around people who are insanely rich. So I, you know, I had to ask a couple of questions around this because I'm always curious and, you know, our, our stories around money are something that I spent a lot of time thinking about. Um, and I'm curious kind of, you know, what your own sort of perspective on wealth and the internal narrative around it has been as you've grown as a VC. Um, and then the other question, which is semi-related to that is, um, having, you know, had a brother who has become so prominent, I am curious kind of what, uh, what impact that has had on you and your own work, if any. Um, so yeah. Sure. Okay. So the first question again is, um, you know, two questions. it's the internal narrative around wealth. Like what has yours been? How has it evolved? Um, and what do you say to other people who perhaps are struggling with theirs? You know, wealth, it's funny, man. Wealth is such a relative thing, right? Like, um, living in Silicon Valley, my, my, my perception of wealth has gotten really skewed. You know, you have your friends who were like eating, you know, literally ramen, uh-huh. You know, living on ramen, and a year and a half later, they're they're driving brand new Ferraris and just burning out the clutch, and they don't care. You know, it's it's just really silly. It's it's just like cartoonish. And sometimes, you know, you go through a phase where you 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 kind of like you know you wish you had it. You like you see people you don't consider very smart having it, and you're like, what the hell? What did I doing wrong? And you realize after a while, man, so much of it's like serendipity and just putting yourself out there and luck and so much happening in the world that it's not a reflection of who you are, whether mm-hmm. you make the money or not, right? It, what, it, you know, and money just makes you, just brings out more of you. If you were an ass before money, <laughs> you, guess what? You're not going to be like some saint with money. Yeah. You'll just be a bigger ass. Yeah. I mean, you know, you know, that's, that's the funny thing. People are like, yeah, once I make some money, then I'll you know, spend more time with my wife and kids and love them more. Yeah, you know, maybe, maybe not. By then, maybe your wife will divorce you and kids will hate you, uh-huh. you know, because you were an ass during that time. Like, it's, it's money... Look, we all want it. <laughs> I think there's a line from a Danny DeVito movie where it's like, it's called money. That's why everyone wants it, because of the name, money. I have no idea what that means, but it's a great line, right? <laughs> and and I, I think wealth is relative. And wealth, the best wealth you can have is when you're actually really giving your all to something. You're creating something you really care about. So when the results come, mm-hmm. they mean more. They're more fulfilling. Um Versus if you did something that was scammy and you know it, you can only, you know, we all live and die within ourselves, uh, you know, and we all die alone fundamentally. You got to live with yourself. So if, I think true wealth is when you, um, when you are able to create the success you want out of things that are really you, you giving your expression to the world. That's the most, that's true wealth. Because mm-hmm. how you feel about yourself and how you feel about things is so beautiful. Because you give it your all and this is what you cared about. You know, so, um, sorry. Go, go ahead. ahead. Uh, no, it, um, it was interesting as you were saying that um, I recently watched one of the Zeitgeist documentaries on, on Netflix. There's like three of them, but there's one really sort of interesting one. I think it was the very beginning. It was about the the grand you know guy is the narrator is talking about how his grandmother teaches him how to play Monopoly, and how the goal of Monopoly is to acquire, 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 acquire. But he says the lesson that everybody seems to forget is what happens when the game is over. It all goes back in the box. Ah, uh, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. And you know, like <clears throat> ultimately acquiring more and more and more just is just you filling, trying to fill an empty bottomless hole. Mm. If you, the irony is, if you work in the hole, the stuff just comes. Yeah. You got to do the work. I mean, you can't just sit there and you know, like piles of gold will drop on your head. <laughs> right. You got to, 
But if you work in the whole, you work in the inner self, and then you put yourself out to the world from that place. Uh, at least in my life, that's how I've seen success happen, you know, consistently. Yeah. Now, as for your second question, yeah, I'm very proud of my brother. It's, you know, I've seen what he's, you know, I've known him all his life. He's my younger brother. And, uh, you know, what he's done, it's, it's really impressive. He's fundamentally changed an industry that's changing the entire world. Uh-huh. I mean, I couldn't be prouder of him. So, there's, I mean, I, I, I love him. I'm in, in, anytime I run to anyone or whatever, I'm just immensely proud of him. That's, uh, you know, it's what a gift to have, you know. And boy, looking, also, if you think about where we came from, right? Uh-huh. We went off in our own separate directions, and some of them have combined some of them our own things. But, like, it's amazing to knowing where we came from, what we went through, to see what he's done. You know, it's, it's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. Mm. Well, um, this has been really amazing and thought provoking and eye opening as I, as I expected it would be, I'd, you know, expect nothing less from you. So I have one last question for you, which is how yeah. we finish all yeah. of our interviews. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? Ooh, you know, when they're being their real self, you can tell when someone's being their real self, just, I don't care who they are. I don't care if I agree with someone or not, but when they're just being their real self, I respect them and I like them. Um, I, I think we, we sense that as human beings, man. We sense that like the people that we, we don't forget, the people that leave a mark on us, they were just being their real self. Hmm. And there's something beautiful about that because there's so, so little of it in the world. I think especially now with all the social media and everything where everyone's being a rock star on social media, right? It's like someone who, I, when you meet people, are just being real. And, be, and being honest about themselves and who they are to the world, it's special. That, that naturally makes it unmistakable. Mm. Amazing. Um, where can people learn more about the book and all the work that you do? Um, the book comes on January 3rd. So in a couple, I mean, it'll be out you know, now, I guess, when the uh, recording comes out. So it'll be on bookstores and Amazon. But you can go to rebirthfable.com mm-hmm. and, and look it up or just look up my name, Kamal Ravikant. You know, I wish you best luck in spelling it uh, <laughs> online. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, rebuildfable.com, um, and or just find me online and you know, like just and say hi. I'm, I'm around. Awesome. Well, and for everybody listening, we will wrap the show with that next time on the Unmistakable Creative. You know, the gift of adversity is one thing that I think, you know, what I went through while heartbreaking was the chance to rebirth and. Um, transform and into unexpected places. And that was actually a gift in disguise. Um, and also the, the, the tremendous things that I learned in the becoming, you know, the resilience I learned, um, having to come out over and over and over again and feel the fear of being somehow marginalized or uh, know that you are carrying a stigmatized identity. And in my case, choosing whether you share that or not and, and when and, what, and calculating those risks I think, you know, far from making you feel, might make you feel intimidated in the moment and not great about yourself, but actually the, the process of defining and clarifying your truth and then, you know, being forced to lead with that, especially because I'm so out in my role now, um, it has is, it is really added to my many abilities as a leader. Jennifer Brown joins us to talk about bringing your full self to life and work. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. 
Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch, the skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.